Well, this morning, I want to start a new series. So if you're visiting, stay, and you could go through the series. Paul's estimating how long it might take. He said it a year and a half, but <laughs> I don't know, maybe. But I thought I'd do a series on a bunch of things. I thought it'd be great to do a series on God the Father, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then I think it'd be great to talk about our great salvation, the redemption Christ has gained for us, the forgiveness that he has provided. And while we're at it, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the place of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Uh, And then while we're at it, why don't we talk about prayer and the power that is at work within you. Uh, And then let's just keep going from there. We could talk about in this series what you once were before you knew Christ and what God did in order to save you. Uh, And the new life you now live by faith uh, through the grace of God. And we could tack on to that the the issue that most of you, maybe all of you, are Gentiles. And yet you weren't given the law and the covenants. And God has brought you together with the Jews in this new thing called the church, which is this great mystery revealed from the Old Testament that was previously not understood. And then let's Go from there. Let's talk again about prayer and and the kind of praying that we should have. Uh, What should our prayer life look like? What what, what are the things we should be praying for? Uh, And then talk about the Christian life. How are we to then walk in light of what God has done? Uh, And the need for unity within the church and the need for godliness in all of our relationships. Relationships from the church to the home and the family to the workplace uh, to sharing the gospel, and we could talk about spiritual warfare as well, uh, such things like putting on the armor of God and standing firm in our faith. Uh, talk a little bit about the Apostle Paul, and let's just do all of that in one series. And I'm going to call it the book of Ephesians, because it's all in there. We can talk about marriage, we can talk about parenting, there's just so much. And it's all put together in a divine order in the book of Ephesians for us. So I'd like, to, like for you to open to Ephesians chapter 1. And it's a perfect day. We were just seeing here uh, the, this picture of our new life demonstrated, that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and God has made, made us alive in Christ. And you see that visually. So I think it's perfect that we can begin in Ephesians. And there are more topics than that uh, that we can cover here. Um, I was asking myself, too, why Ephesians? I mean, there's a lot of books in the Bible to preach. You know, I always say that every book and verse is like yelling at you, preach me, preach me, no, preach me. And so it's, it's hard. We have another pastor here who understands, uh, you know, where are you going to go? There's, every book is rich. And so... Um, I think a couple of reasons. One is that Ephesians is just a book of joy. There, as far as we can tell, there's no problems in the church of Ephesus here. So he doesn't start off saying, okay, guys, get your act together. Kind of like he does in 1 Corinthians. You know, the Corinthian church had their problems, and then you had the Galatians had their problems. Even in Philippians, he addresses conflict between people, and he's trying to get them to be unified. And Colossians, you know, they're dealing with holding to Jewish festivals and starting to embrace Judaism. Well, you don't find that in Ephesians. You find Paul is just thrilled to write a letter to his friends and to talk about their great salvation. 
And so I just have always loved Ephesians for that. But one other reason is just the place the book has had in my life for many years. Uh, I don't know how long it was after we got married, but we were invited to uh, a couple's house uh, after a Sunday, and they were going to disciple several of us, several couples, I think maybe one or two uh, singles there, and they would have us over, and uh, we'd have lunch together, and then the girls would break up in their group, and the guys would break up in their group. And I'll never forget that first meeting. Uh, his name is Rob, and they're still at the church there in Southern California. And he told us men, he said, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to meet. Every time we meet, we're going to discuss um, how we're doing in the Lord. And I want you to do two things this, this whole year. I want you to read a book, and that book was Desiring God by John Piper. And, and this is, um, how long ago would this be? Almost 20 years ago? Yeah, about 20 years ago. And uh, he told us, I want us men to memorize the book of Ephesians. Now, and I was in the middle of seminary at that point, and I was already memorizing Greek and Hebrew out my eyeballs. I I was dreaming in Greek. Uh, I mean, I was that much. The last thing I needed to do was do more homework. And uh, and I thought, well, how in the world are we going to pull off memorizing Ephesians? I can understand Psalm 23 or... 1 Corinthians 13 or something like that. But it was a challenge, and we really couldn't say no. <laughs> so us four or five men began to work on this, and uh, within about eight or nine months, we memorized the whole book of Ephesians. He pushed us. He challenged us. Every time we met together, we had to say it out loud. Okay, chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, and go from there. And, and we were nervous every time. Uh, and we stumbled upon our words and stuff, but we got it. And ever since then, it's been in my mind for around 20 years. Um, I just, I think Ephesians. So when I'm reading scripture, I often am making connections with Ephesians. And I've memorized other scripture than Ephesians, but Ephesians really just became very important to me. And I'm really thankful for that couple that challenged us. And that man in my life who said, no, you're going to do this, Jason. And no excuses, and knowing, not knowing at that time the fruit of doing something like that. So I would just encourage you, memorize Scripture. You don't have to do Ephesians this year. If you do, great. Tell me. That would be great. But just get in the Word and memorize something. But, friends, I, I'm an average Joe. I, I don't think I have some superior memorization skills. If I can do it, you can do it. It just takes discipline and diligence uh, and I know some of you in here, I won't name names, but there are some in here who memorize books of the Bible uh, and are still memorizing Scripture. And so you can do that. And, and I would really encourage you to do that. You could start with a, a Philippians, which is four chapters, or Titus is three chapters. You could, you could start with Second John. It's, you, don't even, you don't even talk about chapters. It's just verses. Whatever it is, get the Word in you. Uh, but this is a, a tremendous book. And I've just had wanted to go through it myself for many years. Uh, Ephesians is different. Uh, chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And, and, and next Sunday, I want to talk about Paul, and I want to talk about the church in Ephesus specifically. But you get a little glimpse of Paul here. He considers himself the least 
of all saints. Elsewhere, he calls himself the chief of sinners. That's how he viewed himself. And I don't think he's just saying that because that's what you're supposed to say. He truly believed he was the least of all saints. And he writes to the Ephesians, uh, a beloved people to him who he ministered to on uh, his missionary journeys, who really matters to him. Ephesians is written from prison, uh, and he longs to see them. And so he writes about this great common salvation they have. And I love Ephesians too because it's not necessarily organized the way that we might think it should be. There is some organization. Uh, the first half is doctrine. The second half is duty or our responsibilities, and that's Pauline. But Paul doesn't give a lot of introduction up front. He just jumps into prayer. He just praises God. That's just how he starts. It, and I kind of feel that way. I just, I'm kind of exploding with Ephesians after waiting for 20 years. And Paul explodes with joy. And then you get on this ride, and it's a, it's a fast-paced ride, through Ephesians. And I love that. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the great apostle cannot express himself adequately. I like that. You feel like when you read Ephesians, he's he's trying to get the words out because there's there's so much joy and there's so much thought he has being a former Pharisee, now saved by the grace of God, now trying to tell Gentiles, here's the salvation we've experienced. So it's a tremendous book. You could say the first half, chapters 1 through 3, is the gospel. The second half, chapters 4 through 6, is a gospel-worthy walk. If you want kind of a nice, clean outline. The gospel, then the gospel-worthy walk. Paul gives you the doctrine up front for three chapters, and then starting in chapter 4, verse 1, he urges us to live a certain way. But in light of the salvation, Paul is not a legalistic Pharisee that says, here's the things you need to do and the things you shouldn't do, and you're good. You're good to go. You're a moral citizen. Rather, he says, in light of what God has done, live a gospel-worthy kind of life. So, having said that, I don't have any notes this morning. Uh, I just want to go through Ephesians. So, it's just been in me for a long time. Let's journey through the whole book. I'm going to kind of preach Ephesians as we go through the whole book. I'll add some commentary here and there. So this is a little different. If you're visiting, this is not typically what we do. Uh, Very much relying upon the Spirit. But I want us to get kind of a general overview of the whole book before we go through it. So Paul says, and I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It's all because of what God has done that he is an apostle. And he writes to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And it's grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is the reality of the Christian, isn't it? Grace to you and you have peace from God. You are reconciled to God you experience peace with him, and you have joy that Jesus promises in the Gospel of John. And Paul goes straight in. He, he doesn't get into the shallow end of the pool. He dives into the deep end of the pool. And he begins with praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us 
before Him, before the foundation of the world in Him, to receive this salvation. And He says here, He chose us in Him that we might be holy and blameless. That He had a purpose in saving us that's not only forgiveness, but it's that we might become holy and blameless before Him. And in love, He predestined us to adoption through His Son. We become His very family, sons and daughters of the King. He did all of this according to His will, just as He chose Paul to be an apostle according to His will. It's all about God. Paul is all about God. We should all be about God. And here he focuses first on God the Father. What God the Father has done. God the Father has chosen us. He's predestined us even before the foundation of the world. And then he focuses on God the Son in whom we have redemption through Christ. The forgiveness of our sins. And forgiveness of our trespasses. Our sins that we have, we, we had forsaken God, we had offended Him, we had, a, we had sinned against this perfect, wonderful God, but in Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us and the Beloved. He lavished this upon us. He lavished it upon us with all wisdom and insight according again to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time and he unites all things in heaven and on earth in Christ everything is working according to the plan of God the son carried out the will of God we have now obtained an inheritance having been again predestined according to his purpose who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. And you also had listened to this message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed in Him, you were sealed with who? The Holy Spirit. The Father is for you. The Son is for you. And the Holy Spirit is for you. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit who is given as a down payment of our inheritance, a guarantee, a certainty that we have Christ, that we have salvation. The assurance that we have in the Christian life is concerning the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit to the believer. So for this reason, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, the things that God is obviously demonstrating in your life, I pray for you, Paul says. I pray that you might understand and you might know God better. That's my prayer for you. That you might understand the riches of His grace, that this great salvation that He's given us, that He may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, that you may understand the hope to which you were called, that you might understand the inheritance of the saints, that God has not only given you salvation, but given you each other, and that you may know the power that's at work within you. 
If there's anything I want you to know, it's the power, the powerful power that's at work within the believer. It's this this person of the Holy Spirit who's at work in you. And you as a Christian need to understand that God empowers you. He's the one enabling you to live the Christian life. It demonstrates the immeasurable greatness of His power at work in us who believe. He did all of this. You say, well, what kind of power is this? It's the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. There's no greater power, is there? That's the power at work within you. When it raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated Him far above all rulers and authorities and powers, that's what God is up to in your life. He put all things under His feet. He put Him as head over the church. Jesus Christ is the supreme authority over everything in creation, over everything in the spiritual realm. This is the great salvation that we enjoy. But do you remember? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. And remember who was in charge of that realm. It was the devil, the demonic forces, the spiritual forces. They were the ones you were in bondage to. You lived under the prince of the power of the air who's at work now in the sons of disobedience. You know, at one point you lived for your passions and lust. You you had no concern for God and His will. You, You lived like the rest of mankind living for yourself and your sin. But God... But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing, is it? It's clear as a Christian this was not something that you put together. It's something that has demonstrated the rich mercies of God that He would make you to be alive when you were dead. You know, there's nothing a dead person can do to better their situation. And God is a God of resurrection. And He's given us new life. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. As a result, we can't boast at all. There's nothing for us to brag about. There's nothing we have accomplished in of ourselves. God accomplished all of that. And that's good for us to remember. He's raised us up with Him. He seated us with Him in the heavenly places. And He's going to show us the riches of His grace. He's going to lavish upon us the riches of His grace now and then into the coming ages. Amazing. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the great theme here. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's recreated us. He's given us life. He's even prepared the works beforehand that we are to walk in them. God's done everything. We just need to walk now by the power of His Spirit. 
Now, remember that you Gentiles once were called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. You were once aliens. You were once strangers to the covenants of promise. You were far off. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But again, by His grace, He's brought you near to Him. He's brought you near to His grace. And now, He's united both the Jews and the Gentiles into one body, the church, which is called the household of God. He has now made one new man. And this is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of this body. And we now are come together as his body. We are now the household of God. It was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And this whole body is being fit and held together uh, with every joint just like a body would. And it's growing and it's maturity into Christ. So not only has he saved you individually and brought you from death to life by his grace, he now brings together this new body called the church, the household of God, of which he is doing a great work. And now the dwelling place of God is it's not in a tent or a tabernacle or a temple. It's in you. It's in the church. It's in the household of God. The Spirit of God dwells with you corporately. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father and I pray for you. For all the things I've told you so far is exactly why I pray for you. But before I pray for you, let me pause for a second and let you know what's going on with me, Paul says. Assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me, that I am now this missionary to the Gentiles. I've been commissioned by Christ to carry this good news, this mystery that's now been revealed to you. I, I wrote this to you briefly before, if you remember. When you read this, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not previously known or made known, but it's now been revealed to you. You now understand the full revelation of the person of Christ here and what he's doing in the church. You've been gifted this opportunity, this grace. And the mystery is this, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the body. We are now included in God's plan. We are part of his body. The spirit is not just dwelling over there. The spirit is now with us. All because of Christ Jesus. You know, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the grace of God. Paul says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Oh, what a joy to bring to light what was previously hidden. And now it's through the church that this wisdom of God, this marvelous plan of God is revealed. And I'm suffering, but it's okay. The Lord is taking care of me. There's nothing to worry about. I am suffering for your glory. It's really for your good in the end, Paul says, that I'm in prison and I'm suffering 
for this reason. I was going to pray earlier. I did my Pauline detour. I want to pray now. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you may be able to comprehend, that you might be able to understand the love of Christ. That's my prayer for you. I want you, by the power of the Spirit, remember that power that's working within you, that you might be able to understand better, that you might be able to comprehend the love of Christ. And there's no way to measure it. You you can't measure the height, the depth, the length, the breadth. And and there's no point of coming to a, a complete realization and understanding of his love. It's something for us to pray that we better understand. That you might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the fullness of God. I, I want God to fill you with His presence. And the, the means of that is to better understand by the grace of God the love of Jesus and what He's done. I want you to better comprehend your salvation. Because the better you understand it, the better you understand God. Now to him who is able to do far more beyond all that we can ask or think, according to him, glory be in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And you might think the preacher's done at that point. The preacher's only begin. <laughs> I can smell lunch already. But I often think, you know, what would Paul... How would Paul say this to the church? This was to be read to the church, by the way, which we could do. But I'm trying to do that to some extent this morning. So in light of all these things, what do we do with this? How does this affect us? What does the gospel do not only for us, but to us? I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I I desire that you may be one, that you be a unified church, that you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Here's some fruit, the humility, gentleness, tolerance for one another. You have to put up with each other and do so in love and be one body. Because there is one body. There's one spirit. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is working all of these things through Him. You know, it's amazing that the grace was given to us through the work of Jesus Christ. Grace was given to the church. When when he ascended, he gave gifts and roles within the church too. He designed us a certain way. And that's after he descended into the lower parts of the earth when he became man, very man. So after becoming flesh and taking on humanity, he then ascended into the heavens and he gave gifts to men. 
He gave the apostles, he gave prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God to maturity. So he gave us each a place in the body with different roles and responsibilities and gifts. And as an actual body of Christ, we are growing as we do in life. We're growing into Christ's likeness, and he is the head of the church. We grow to become mature to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And all of this because we, we shouldn't be tossed anymore. We shouldn't be carried away by false doctrines or the trickery and deceitfulness of men. Um, we should have discernment and wisdom. We are to grow in love together. We are to speak the truth to each other in love. We are to grow into the head of the body, which is Jesus Christ. And he is building us up in him. This is what he's doing in the church. He saved us. He brought us together. We become his body. He equips us as a body to minister to each other. And as we grow together, we grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And he's glorified. Now, I want to tell you, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. The unsaved people, that is. You're no longer to walk as they did. In the darkness of their minds, their hearts are hardened. They're calloused. They're darkened in their understanding. They're even alienated, as you once were, from God. You're not to walk like that anymore. They've become callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality and the practice of every kind of evil. But that, friends, is not how you learned Christ. You are now to put off that old man that was dead in their sins. And you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you're to put on the new man. You're to walk as God has now created you to walk. You're to take those first steps. You're to continually put off the old man to be renewed by the Lord and his word and his spirit. And you're to continually put on the new man in the likeness of God. Therefore, let's get specific. Put away falsehood. Put away lying and deceitfulness. Speak the truth to each other. For we are members of one another. Be angry. Anger is not always bad. Be angry yet. Do not sin. Don't let your anger get the most of you. Don't let the sun go down on it. Exercise self-control in your life. Let the thief who was in the practice of stealing, let him steal no more. You're a new creation. Stop stealing. And start working with your hands. But don't go only that far. Start giving to other people. Stop stealing, start working, and start giving. Do a 180 in your life because you're a new creation now. And, and let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, and I'm talking about speech again because a lot of our life is in our words. Uh, make sure that what you say is wholesome and edifying. Even timely, 
Consider this when you consider each other. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. The Spirit dwells within you and He's a person. Don't grieve Him, but honor Him and cherish Him. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and instead be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. See, all that you're doing in the Christian life is in light of what God has already done for you. You forgive because God has already forgiven you. It gives you the ability, the power to forgive Because again, think of what God has done. How much He's forgiven you in your life. So put away deceiving each other. Put away uh, unrighteous anger and unwholesome words and bitterness and wrath and be tenderhearted. Love each other and forgive each other. And cherish the Spirit. But there's more. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave Himself for you, a fragrant offering to God. You're to walk like Jesus walked. You're to imitate God in your life. So put away sexual immorality and any impurity or greed or covetousness. Put it away. Put away foolish talk coarse jesting, uh, put away all of these things the world participates in and rejoices in. Put all of that away and instead be thankful. Put on thankfulness in your life. Think about what the Lord has done in your life. Be content in Christ. For you must know this. Yes, Christians, you must know this. That a person who practices immorality and impurity and lives for the world, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. That's something that we Christians need to consider. Someone can't claim to live their life how they want and indulge in sin and expect to enter the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If it's a help to you, consider the judgment and wrath of God is soon to occur and it's exactly because all of these sins, therefore, don't be a part of that anymore because God will judge that soon. You know, you were at one time darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Try to discern what is pleasing To the Lord, that should be what consumes you now as a Christian, is what what will honor the Lord? He's been so good to me. I live now for Him. Awake, O sleeper. It's always a good thing for a preacher to say on Sunday morning. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. There's that, invita- that gospel invitation. Arise from the dead. Repent of your sins. Christ will shine on you. You are no longer part of darkness. You are now the light. 
walk as children of the light. It involves many things, looking carefully how you walk, not as an unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. You sing, you give thanks, and you submit to each other. You exercise humility in your life. You defer to one another. Well, how much do you do that? Well, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. So you are to submit to him because that's humility. But husbands, love your wife. As Christ loved the church, love her sacrificially. Yes, you're a leader, but you need to give yourself to her sacrificially because that's what Christ did for you. Husbands, love your wives as you would your own body, as your own flesh. You're now one. Take care of her at least as much as you take care of yourself. So wives, see to it that you respect your husbands and husbands love your wives. And this is the great mystery though, you see. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. The great mystery that's revealed that Paul gets to tell you believers is that all along the way, the father has been getting a bride for his son. And it's the church. Children, you didn't think I was going to talk to you. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that you may live long in the land and you live long in the home too. If you're obedient, honor your parents because God says so. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't don't expect perfection from them. Don't be easily irritated with your children. But instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Tell them about Christ. Walk along the way and tell them about what the Lord has done in your own life. Yes, you must give them both instruction. You must also discipline your children. You do those two things, generally it goes well. And slaves too, obey your earthly masters. Do it as to the Lord. Masters sometimes will abuse their authorities. But you serve them because you're serving the Lord ultimately. Don't do it by way of eye service as men pleasers. Don't do it to please men. Do it to honor the Lord. And they may not even see a lot of the things that you do as slaves behind the scenes, but do it all to the Lord the Lord sees. And masters of slaves, give up threatening. And demonstrate the love of Christ to your slaves. Don't be difficult with them. Don't use threatening. Remember that your master is their master. And that he is the ultimate judge, not only of the slaves, but of you masters. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You know, our battle is really not against people. Our battle is not against men. It's against the spiritual forces, the the evil forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's where the warfare, the battle is. Therefore, in light of this, take up the full armor of God while you stand firm. You take that breastplate of righteousness. You take uh, the shield of faith the helmet of salvation, the the shoes, those boots of the gospel. You take the sword, which is the word of God. You take what you know to be true about Christ and your salvation, that he's he's given you righteousness. Uh, You've trusted in him. He's taken care of you. There's the helmet of the hope of salvation. You know he's going to finish what he started. You, You take that, shield against the devil's fiery darts he's he's going to attack you on a regular basis and he's going to attack you in your heart he's going to throw doubts at you as to whether you're a christian or not he's going to tempt you to sin he's going to fight you he's going to remind you of the law and that you trespass it regularly but stand firm stand firm in the faith you know christ You're secure in Him. And He will take good care of you. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flames, the fiery darts of Satan. He is our enemy, but don't fear. Stand firm in the grace that God has put you in. And pray. As you stand, you stand on your knees praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, be praying for all the saints and pray on my behalf. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth that I may make the gospel known with boldness. I need your prayers. I need you to pray for me when I proclaim the gospel, even though I'm an apostle, Paul says. I need your help and you can help me By praying for me. Pray that I be faithful as an ambassador for Christ in chains. That I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Well, so that you may know how I'm doing. I've sent Tychicus to you. He will tell you what's going on. Uh, He will encourage you. This is why I've sent him to you for this very purpose. He may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord with an incorruptible love. It's a glorious book, isn't it? I do feel that Paul just is trying to get out so much of his joy. It's hard to express yourself when you are so excited about what God has done. The Trinity is for you. The Trinity was involved in your salvation. They've taken you from when you were dead in your sin. They've made you alive in Christ. God has saved you by His grace if you believe in Him and His work. He now has brought you near. 
Oh Lord, our prayer is that you that we might better grasp who God is and his love for us. And in light of all this, we we need to walk a gospel-worthy manner. We need to live every day in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In all of our relationships from the church to the home to the workplace, and at the end of the day, we need to stand firm. We're in a battle. It's not over yet. Jesus has already won, but there's still battles to be had. We must trust in him and stand firm in his grace. I love what Paul says there at the very end of chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the written revelation that you've given us. Lord, we don't have the Apostle Paul here today. We don't even have Timothy, who pastored the church at Ephesus, to read this letter. Lord, we have your word, though. You've preserved through your sovereign work in history. We can read the very letter that was read in that church 2,000 years ago. And all of these things we find are, are the riches of Your grace. The unsearchable riches of Your grace. Lord, we understand that You've taken us from being dead in our sins and You made us alive together with You and You've brought us together. You now have given us Your Spirit and now You tell us to walk But Lord, we need your help. Would you please help us to better know you? To better understand the power that's at work within us? To better grasp the depth of your love for us? And would you help us to live in a way that honors you in all our relationships? And will you help us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil? We pray in your name. Amen.